Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm but perfect and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we are learning from Nina Erasmus. Nina is a dancer, an actor, and a visual artist. So she's creative in quite a few different ways. And we get into how she balances all of them in just a little bit. Uh, We talk about dance, man. We talk a lot about dance and how dancers are in touch with their bodies. We talk about Nina's relationship with acting. And we talk about why she cuts up books for art, which is something that uh, hurts me personally. But she explains why she does it quite well. We chat about the inner rebel guiding her basically throughout uh, her life. And we chat about how she has found a passion for teaching. That's coming up in just a little bit. But of course, I need to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by you, which means you can support it by going to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. Or you can just go to almostperfect.co.za. Right now, here comes the Almost Perfect podcast with Nina Erasmus. So how are you living, Nina? I'm living pretty well at this point in time like um, I feel um, independent and like I'm holding my own and that's very liberating yeah even in like this crazy industry where you have to sort of balance everything or you have to do many things at the same time and I just feel like my brain likes that so I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm doing it well so that's pretty cool yeah you are someone who seems to like yeah, you do a lot of different things and like I've wondered like is it a necessity thing just in terms of South African creative scene being such a hard thing to navigate so you know you've got to have your finger in many different pies or are you someone who just has a million different mm. ways that they like to create and just you know goes for everything. Mm, so it's definitely yeah it's definitely a bit of both actually because like I there's these things that I do that I like we say, work at Trebella at the restaurant, right? I don't necessarily want to be in the service industry for 10 years, but it is a very, it's a very flexible industry. And right now I'm really actually enjoying going in and seeing how people make pizzas and seeing how people enjoy eating them, you know? So it's stuff like that, that you like, I, I need that job. And then there's, there's like Pilates that you also, um, that I'm, that I'm teaching that I always thought that I was like a, oh, you know, it's just in the background. And I also did the course after I studied dance. So it's like, fuck, I can't just rely on gig, gig after gig as an actress. So you have to sort of have something that's a bit more consistent, but you don't have to be at nine to five every day and you can sort of make it into your own schedule. And I thought Pilates was like just, oh, just one of those. But then now it's starting to morph into something else, which is quite nice, actually. And then on the other hand, which is, um, is the creative, well, the, the way that I like to work that way as well, I discovered um, it's nice to do many things. Also, um, I don't know, it's just sort of my brain. Does that answer the question? My brain likes to figure it out. And I like to have flexible time and my days be a little bit different every day. Um, it's hard to focus though, like, cause you're the only person keeping yourself in lane, you know? So I need to constantly sort of reassess, cool. Am I doing a good balance of everything? Am I trying to make a collage once, once a week or whatever my goal is, or 
should I get more Pilates clients? Should I like go out and get more? Or am I okay with what I have now and I'm building more on my creative side? So it's that. And it is fun, actually. I really enjoy it. You're, I relate to so much of what you're saying at the moment, just in terms of the balancing a lot of different things. Because, yeah, I'm someone who, you know, mm-hmm. one day I'll be writing a script, the next day I'll be working on jokes, the next day I'm working on the podcast, and the next day I'm doing copy for mm. an HR company mm. in Switzerland. You know, <laughs> it's like one of those things where like yeah. I totally relate. But mm. like it is that tough thing of like, yeah, trying to manage the thing of like, because at the moment, you know, I'm learning to do some HTML and CSS coding. And then I'm also, yeah, like mm. I've been learning script writing and just continually working on that because that's where I would like mm. to work. You know, those are the fields mm. that I would ideally like to move into but it's Mm. just trying to balance that off of actually making a living now Mm, totally totally because it's the I also did a little bit of coding it's lots of fun actually I really enjoyed that too but um it's the it's like is it cool it works now I have my little bit of my like basis covered and then but what I'm always thinking is does it have longevity like can I work like this and earn because obviously when I'm older, I'm going to have to earn a little bit more money, especially if you want kids. Then it's like, cool, but can I do this then? And you know what I mean? Like, um, so that's the scary part. But then that's where the upskilling comes in as well. Like, like you said, to upskill as you go and then sort of keep that main goal in mind. Because you have to, the mountain has to be big, I feel. I was always scared of the mountain that's big. <laughs> but now it's like, if it's big, then there's, there's actually so much space to go and you don't <laughs> know where the road is going to take you, you know? So I think the last two years, I've really been like trying to teach myself to not be scared of my dreams anymore and to like not fake courage, but actually like go out and do something and learn sort of learn your brain to be courageous because if it works out or if it doesn't and you still learn and you're still okay then you sort of know how to have a bit more courage when you come to a certain thing or want to want to get to a place yeah it's a lot like that um adage of uh, shoot for the stars and you might land on the moon mm, mm, exactly yeah so what is the big goal at the moment or like you're saying you've got big dreams that you're working towards so what if you don't mind sharing, mm. what are they? What is the thing that's keeping you going and that's like, yeah, allowing you to do all yeah, these so different things? Just to give a can I I'm I'm gonna give a little bit of background as well. I yeah, if you want to hear the whole story, let's just start there, I guess. Um Please. I studied, <laughs> yeah. So when I was sixteen, my mind was pretty much made up, I'm gonna be a dancer. Like that was like the thing that I wanted to be and I think I was very naive, but yeah, coming from a small town, Poch, Poch, you know, um, uh, if you're not doing sports or academics, you're sort of outsider and people, yeah, it's very easy to be weird in Poch, by the way. So people thought I was very strange. <laughs> um, and I think that outsiders thing, yeah, right. That I like outsiders thing sort of helps you to also moves you in a direction, I guess. But, um, so wanted to be a dancer then I went to dance school in Cape Town it's called Kappa it doesn't even exist anymore I actually went one year at UCT first for dancing and that was great but there were lots of like lots of theory and I wanted to be a stronger dancer so I was like cool let me just be in a class of people who are much better than me too and um, so I have a ballet background so I went to Kappa 
dance school and for three years and that was fucking hard it was probably the hardest thing things I've ever done what I did not understand then is that they had a very specific way of thinking about dance and the dance world and theirs was very eurocentric okay think Netherlands dance theater like very contemporary but still quite ballet orientated contemporary yeah they wanted all their people to shoot for that you know and I realized that as a dancer, you have to be a good little soldier. And because you're also, you're, you're half af- athlete, half art- artist. So and unless mm-hmm. you don't work with a very specific choreographer on that level who workshops your body and how you move, you don't really get to be part of the creative process. And I've quickly realized that because we had very strong drama as well. It's like a combined school. It's like drama singing and dancing school type thing. Um, they sold it as musical theater, but they actually just want everyone to get overseas. They could look good <laughs> and for others, just money, you know, but anyways, so they, yeah, I was shooting in a very specific direction and our drama was very strong. So we learned how to devise stuff. Like, so you make a play, um, or you work a monologue or you sort of just so acting sort of open up that door of, oh, I can actually be part of the creative process. Um, and so they broke me and I was left broken at the end of my third year <laughs> thinking that I was a shit dancer, which is <laughs> so ridiculous. Cause now looking at myself, I'm like, wow, actually I can move, you know? And like, that's not gone anyways. For what I, so came, came to Joburg, moved to Joburg from Cape town and started the acting thing. And that just, oh, as an insecure 23 year old, you can only, yeah, you can only get that much work, which was very little. When so was that? Did. That was um, 2014, I think, 2014. Yeah, 2015, actually. That's the year I came to Joburg. Um, and so I worked as a waitress, did my Pilates course. That was very cool. And then, yeah, now it's like seven years of freelancing. And that's around the world. The, the, the 2015 is what also when I started collaging as well, sort of as a creative outlet. Did some plays with friends and then, now I'm here, I guess. And the future is, um, I really want to, I want to bring dance back to people to like make it civilian friendly. And I would love to, as a choreographer, I don't even want to work with dancers necessarily because they are, they're all painted in their way. You know, they've, they've learned a technique and they do it that way. And it's very hard to get them out of it. Whereas I've noticed within drama, there's lots of people who are good movers who are naturally just very talented at moving. And those are the ones I want to work with. So I want, I would, I don't know, I'm not sure how it would look necessarily, but I'd love to do like ensemble work with people who like to dance. And so ensemble meaning a big group of people. So either like flash mob is very interesting to me too, because the kind of energy that a flash mob brings is like, it's electric. If everyone just starts dancing together, like randomly. So that's the sort of, movement I want to go into and if you do site specific things and people go oh dancing oh that's a thing like right we we do it it's so primal and you can actually get something out of it Um, whereas I feel like the industry is so far removed from what people can relate to you know it's on a stage it has lights it's very stiff you're in a theater I just I think we can rethink that a little bit (laughs) I get that and I mean, a part of me appreciates that presentation, you know, and like I do enjoy it being a little, you know, stiff and hoity-toity at times. But at the same time, mm-hmm. dance is something that we mm-hmm. all do. It's something that, 
you know, can people connect with every night, you know, around the world. And it doesn't have to be this far removed thing. It can be this, mm. you know, esoteric thing where people are speaking a different language almost. It's its, it's own language because dance is its own language. Yeah. But then at the same time, I like yeah. the idea of making that a lot more accessible. Mm, totally. And whether it be through performance or even like workshops. So like now this, this year, I want to really try and do like um, improvisational workshops with people who like to move. But in Joburg, the dance scene is so, the alt dance scene is non-existent. There's literally corporates, corporates, and then there's people going to dance classes, and then you get your your Vriani Dance Theater and the and the Joburg um, Ballet, and then there's smaller groups like Josie Dance and stuff like that. So it's very, um, the line between amateur and professional is very big. But then also people don't, um, yeah, there's no alternate. I don't really see contemporary classes who do what doing um like uh, what's it contact improv or anything like that so now it's like okay cool i need to get people to care about something that they don't even know what it is yet so which would in the past be an excuse to not do it but now i'm like it's a challenge mm-hmm. i need to because it's the kind of improvisation that i want to do is imagine it's, it's in your imagination so it's verbal i give verbal cues you can do whatever it's about your inner self and how it wants to move because we all have bodily intelligence you know we all, our bodies know you can i can teach you how to land softly on the floor and if you speed it up it looks like you're going pretty hard but you're actually still protecting your body our bodies have a natural way of of you know has an intelligence so like i w- i'd like to ignite that in people um but now it's like how do you sell something to people that they don't know what it is <laughs> because it is quite new. Yeah, it's interesting because I've chatted to like one other professional dancer on here and it f- seems like dancers have like they're just more in touch with their bodies, you know, like and have this way of thinking about the world that is very different to the way I think about the world to be completely honest with you. Like it feels to be mm. I don't know, yeah, just a bit more body-centric where I'm a lot more in my own head. Yeah, totally. Because yeah, that's that's your strength, you know. For me, that's, yeah, my, my body is my strength. Like, I neglect the brain side of things too. Um, but uh, they ignite each other. That's what's so cool. It's like when I, I have, you know, I teach Pilates now for five years. I mainly have, like, one-on-one clients now. And you can see when someone's like, oh, they're just not feeling it. And then after the session, you can just, they're just a little bit brighter, you know? And that's also just like the coolest. That's why, yeah, that's why I love what I do with Pilates as well. Because you can see in a very simple way, you're helping people. And it's, it's actually medicine. Pilates is medicine for your body. If anyone's listening, if you don't know what it is, it's a postural, you know, workout and you, it, it, it builds up on any everything you do. So if you're doing cycling or you're swimming or you're playing golf or whatever, the Pilates will support you through that because you just come a bit more aware of how you're walking, da da da. Um, also, but um, so it really is like a type of medicine, and because it's also injury prevention, it's all about prevention. And we don't hear much of that in the medical industry so much. Um, is preventing um, yeah so that's cool it's, I guess it's all a bit of alt healing as well and 
that's also given me a lot of insight as to how to facilitate people who have mind blocks about things, you know, about especially about their bodies. You know, we all have a very complicated relationship with our bodies. And I think every mm -hmm. single person on this earth feels that way. So it's sort of to like be pragmatic, but still have people curious and start to open up, you know, that's what's also interesting for me and a challenge. It's a quite, quite a problem solving thing as to how to lead someone into being open about something. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I can, I can understand that. Cause I know, like it depends on the situation as to just how like physically open I can be with other people and one-on-one -on -one Pilates Ooh. or one-on-one -on -one anything like would have me feeling a little bit awkward. Like I'm someone like I do my yoga and stuff. I use an app and yeah. you know, I'm happy with that because like I get to do it alone mm. at home and just have my own space and time. And mm. I've often thought about actually going to yoga classes, but the idea of like being there mm. with all those people, whilst, you know, we're all in these weird mm. and uncomfortable positions definitely is a little bit intimidating. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. I mean, I could totally relate with ballet class was like that. It was, it's as ballet is like, you can very, very quickly see when someone's doing it badly. Like even for the untrained eye, you can see. So like I had to like sort of get into positive meditation before class and like tell myself that it's not about them. It's about me. Like I can make my mistakes in that space and I can also enjoy it as well even if it's with people. And it's quite cool, the energy that you get in, like, say, yoga class, because um, you're all sort of fighting through this sequence together. It has a, I don't know, it has a thing. Um, but I, I also get a lot of the people think that other people are looking at you, but most of the time they're also just either worried that other people are looking at them or they're just, like, in their zone and they just want to do their thing. So if that helps... Um, Yoga, yoga class is fun if you feel like ever venturing out it's really nice something that i need to actually remember myself is that like and it's something i've read a lot and it's you know something lots of people tell you all the time is that no one cares like mm. no one cares about what you're doing you can just go about living your mm. life and just enjoy yourself and just feel free and chilled and yeah maybe one or two people might actually look at you funny but the reality is that most people are too busy thinking, I wonder if everybody else is looking at me to actually be looking at you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly that. So the um, there's this very experience that I had that was very interesting. So I did like a, the guy, we were at a yoga thing, like a retreat thing. And it's Afrikaans people, so in Pretoria. And it's weird, like it was like every Saturday, they're sort of part of the drum circle people come and have yoga or whatever. So we there was this one guy teaching Tai Chi, and that was it's beautiful outside in the woods and stuff, right? And this couple comes and this guy, and I could just see from the moment he just did not want to be there. His his girlfriend talked him into it and like come as believe you are as the next somni as believe do it's on with my tai chi and he left his hat on and he was like he started doing tai chi and I, if you've never done tai chi before like you, you the first exercise basically you just go inhale arms up exhale arms forward down in front of your face down to your hips like basically that and he couldn't even lift his elbows he was so awkward you could just feel 
how he's like, oh, I can't move my body this way. So stiff and so like, because he had this preconceived notion of what it might be or how he might look. And that was just so fascinating. So eventually he left like after the first, and it was so like, oh, relief. Thank God he's gone because now we can just chill and move, you know, like, <laughs> but his mind was holding him prison. His mind was holding him prisoner to this actual nice experience he could have had doing Tai Chi in the woods. So yeah, mind is a powerful thing. Yeah, that's for sure. Although you're someone who I think obviously does like people looking at them since you've become an actor and a dancer and a public right. performer. So was that from a young age? Like, cause you said you wanted to be a dancer from 16, but you know, even younger than that, what was your creative like childhood like? Right. Yeah. See, I forget that. I forget that people don't like to be looked at. Um, <laughs> I absolutely adore it. It's really nice. <laughs> obviously in the right setting. No, I was that. I was like that from six years old. You know, I used to. Um, I never used to play with dolls. I had like a dresser box, and I would dress myself up and play in the garden. I had an older brother, so we like played cars together and stuff like that. But that was like my main activity was just singing and dancing and playing dress up. I was extremely cute, very, very, very um, feminine young girl for sure. And I danced also from six years old. My mother never could do ballet because. They were in like a very staunch in like in Gierkerk that told them like that dancing was from the devil or some shit. And so she never okay. danced, but she oh, she always tells a story that she goes to the, when her, her mother went to OK to grocer to go buy groceries, she would, there was a ballet class across the road. So she would just go sit and watch girls do ballet. And she loves to dance. I really, there was actually a point in time where my mother and I did ballet together, ballet class. She was like 39 and I was 12 or something. That's amazing. Um, and she loved it. So she she sort of took me to my first ballet class and it just never occurred to me to stop. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't always that I loved doing it. You know, I didn't like, like yearn to be a ballerina, but it was just this constant in my life. And it was like a place that I could go to to escape all of it. And like... Um, yeah, work. You could never be perfect in ballet, but you strive to perfection. Like it's like, but not in a toxic way. You know, it's almost liberating because the, the the limitations are endless. It's like if you work on your feet to get beautiful arches, then you get the beautiful arches. But now you can now think of your upper back. What's your upper body doing? And like, so even the top ballerina will tell you what's her greatest flaw in dancing. Like. And it sounds hectic, but like, I feel like life is that there's like limited, limitless possibilities and things that can happen. So to strive for something, like at least strive for something, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's a big thing. Like why I, as much as I'm not like necessarily, I mean, I'm a fan of sports. I'm just going to say that. It's a complicated relationship. I used to be a sports coach and everything. Uh, but to me, it's important to have these things that you have in life that you strive towards. And it's a process that you get better at because that teaches you so much about the rest of life. And it also does. It teaches you lim your limitations. Sometimes there are people out there that are better suited to the thing that you're mm. doing than you are. Or sometimes you've got different strengths. Maybe like mm. in terms of cricket, you know, they're tall so they can bowl fast. 
but you're short and mm. you can maybe be a spin bowler. Maybe you can, you know, be a good fielder in mm. a certain aspect and you can specialize in certain things and find your own strengths. And that is why, like, I think it's super important mm. to have kids, you know, involved in extracurricular activities, whether it's sports, whether it's something mm. else that is constantly pushing them Martial to try arts. and just be a little bit better than the day before. You know, that's essentially it to me. Because, yeah. yeah, for yeah. me, I, I'm a big fan of mm. all of that. Of just, It's not even about, you know, being better than anyone else. It is just literally about being better than you. Yeah, so acting, what, uh, obviously studying it drew you into it, doing drama and stuff, but was there a passion for it beforehand? Uh, yeah, I did at school. We we didn't have the subject, but we had like plays, like Kaka and Ka. Like okay. uh, what's it, when it's, it's Kaka and Ka to meal, like when they bring the schools together and they basically each do a play and then they have a competition. Um, but I never really thought I was good at it or that I... Or, or that I could do both as well. So I I I really dig, dig my um, like musicals. I love musicals, and that's like my nerdy thing. Um, and I wanted to be in one until I worked backstage at Annie for like in twenty seventeen when they were here. Um, and then I realized, yo, I don't know if I could do six shows a week. I don't know if I'm a six shows a week kind of gal. <laughs> so in my mind, that was the only way the two could exist together, you know. But Acting was sort of just, yeah, I don't know. Until I really did it, like for play, um, when I did my first play in Josie, like that we just devised, I only got like real positive, you know, reactions back of like, oh, I can actually act. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, then I continue with the acting thing, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, it was something that caught me a bit off guard in terms of where I thought my level was. I guess I also just, um, it's not really like my main goal. If it doesn't, if acting doesn't work out, I'm not going to like be heartbroken. But if, if I can't one day choreograph the things that are in my head, I think I'll be a bit like sad about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's interesting because like just in, you know, modern society, I would expect that to be the other way around because being an actor is at least in the art scene as one of the higher forms and especially in terms of money and fame and, you know, just people knowing your work. Whereas dance is an art form that's beautiful, but not necessarily appreciated by the public. So I just find it very interesting that dance is a thing that you feel more passionately about because obviously that is just an internal passion more than it is about the external validation. Mm. Yeah. No, there's definitely external validation needed, but now not so much anymore. But <laughs> it's, it's, Bob, it's been my whole life. It's been like that. I've always gone, like if someone points that direction, I want to know what's in the other direction. It's like, there's always been this inner rebel and it's frustrated my parents because they don't, they don't, they don't get it. They don't understand why. But sometimes I'm like, I don't even understand why. But there's sometimes just this, this voice inside my me that just goes, hmm, let's try something different. Or I'm feeling, even though this thing doesn't make sense, I want to do that thing. Um, sense in the financial place. Or like, I'm not even, I'm not in the right environment now to really pursue dance the way I want to. And I really want to be in the real, in the right environment, obviously. 
but there's still somewhat something in me that can go, I can still learn from this to be here right now trying to do it. And yeah, fuck, swimming against the stream. <sighs> but I have I just have this feeling that because I am like that, it's actually gonna be like a a, a strength later. Because especially with acting, is like I I hate that people go, okay, just take any job and take whatever you can get. I don't like that notion. I feel like I want to be selective um, of the things that I do choose, even if there is little work, you know, even if it's like, it's a sort of a death wish for an actor to be picky. Um, but I don't want to be pushed into a certain way of, of doing, especially in the Afrikaans industry, like CakeNet. I don't think they know what to do with me, you know, like if I even get <laughs> in there and then if they do, maybe they want to then change or, or, or bring, I don't know. I'm just not, I just don't see it. I just don't see it working. And my parents are like, why did you just audition for Benelandish? And I'm like, I have auditioned for Benelandish. <laughs> you know, like I wouldn't mind. I would go in there, but I don't think that that is my route. It doesn't feel like it's that. So right now I'm in the process of writing a series with someone, a production company from Cape Town. And it's sort of around my life as a person in Joburg, trying to look for friendship post-COVID. Um, but she now has developed her own sort of character, so she's not really me anymore. Um, so script devising, and that can go either which way. And you know how film goes; like it can, or even <laughs> series, or actually worse. Like you could literally shoot the pilot, cast everyone, sign contracts, and then all of a sudden, so just go, yeah, sorry, we don't want this anymore, and then you're done. But they own all your ideas. So <laughs> there's a lot of your heart that can't be completely in it. Um, a lot of my heart that I'm saying, but I, I don't care. That's like more exciting for me actually than doing audition after audition and sort of waiting on a director to like decide that you are now good enough for, for the time or whatever, you know, there's just so much about acting that's just not in your hands. And I don't know, I, I like to be in some somewhat control. And even if it's like a death wish to my acting career, like I said, I don't feel like I have much to lose. That's cool. Then it didn't work out and I, <laughs> I'm sure I still learned something. And then I'll maybe still go for my Benelanders audition. So I'm very torn when it comes to acting. I, <laughs> yeah, like the, the, especially when I did The Lovely with Hallie, like it was just, I've only had like nice experiences on set that way and making cool stuff. And, I was going to ask you about that. Mm, yeah, I want to keep doing that, those kinds of things too. And that, yeah, that was pretty cool. What, what, what did you want to ask about that? Well, just how did you meet Tally and how did that all come together? Because I met you for the second time when you were hanging with Halley at Queertopia. So, you know, and like oh, yeah. I've seen Belovely, obviously. I had Halley on here because I watched Belovely and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was such a sweet like piece of cinema. Mm, thank you. So, Yeah. I wanted to know how did you guys meet and uh, how did it all come together? Yeah, Hallikins. So I met her. She was one of the first friends I made in Joburg and for her as well. So we were both new to Jersey and was at, at like a friend's party, house party somewhere in Parkwood or some shit. And yeah, Hallie just rocked up. And the first thing I noticed of her was her small frame and her beautiful collarbone. And then we sort of had crushes on each other. And she messaged me and then we almost dated actually. But then I was on a 
fucking rampage with broken hearts. So, and she saw that and thank God she saw <laughs> that. And then we just sort of eased into friendship um, very elegantly, actually. And then she, she asked me if I want to do this thing and she actually, how did it happen? Um, yeah, she just had a concept about the, about it and we came together twice to sort of rehearse because we, it was actually more about the dancing, you know, in the middle where the steam comes or whatever. Yeah. We actually worked on that bit way more and the, the other stuff that I'm like talking and brushing my teeth and the, the beginning part was more just workshopped on the day. And it was such a cool, oh yeah, it was a, it was a, I was very nervous because it's all, it's just me. So I, I get in diva mode and I'm hungry and I only want to drink green juice and like shit like that. <laughs> but then just playing around and actually then having the setup and it was nice to, you know, to, Hallie's very good at making you feel comfortable. She's an amazing director. She's got such a natural way of, bringing that thing out you know in people and making them feel comfortable and she's just extremely empathic as well and just even well i saw i worked on set with her again for the forge they did that um yeah you saw that but then i got to see her in action with people on set and she's yo she's just really good she needs to have more work please everyone give hallie haller all the direct and work please she's really good <laughs> but um so yeah we did be lovely and then she just sort of like left it for two years and I was like girl what's happening there because because I was like oh girl I have, a, I have a show reel now and all that you know but when she finally it's, it's good that she, do, she did it when she did you know it was good timing actually because everyone was in lockdown and what, looking for new content tired of Netflix and yeah it was very cool um didn't think that it would look so nice. I also enjoyed it because seeing yourself is like super cringe. But yeah, it was cool how it it got attention as well. Because sometimes you'll make something and people don't even didn't even know you did. You know, especially with digital stuff like that's very hard to get people to watch <laughs> your shit. Um, something I also want to dabble in is dance films, so making little dance clips. But then, yeah, getting like a couple of hundred views on it and you spent hours blood like blood sweat and tears trying to capture this this thing but i guess it's also that's the other part of it is how to get it out there i don't know if you you probably know what that feels as well like with podcasting oh definitely like i but i've just taken the other approach like because i just don't give a fuck anymore like if one person listens if a thousand people listen if 10 million people listen cool like i'm getting to have a rad conversation with people Mm. like every single week i get to learn more i get to know Mm. you know like i i get enriched so much Mm. from this i have learned so many different skills from doing this that it really just doesn't matter anymore like because and i I, i'm at that point because you know the numbers didn't get to where i thought they would be at this point i mean they're still good like everyone else I tell mm. in podcasting, when I tell them my numbers, they're like, what, really? And I'm like, yeah, it sucks. And they're like, nah, dude. But mm. at the same time, you know, I'm comparing myself to mm. people that I see who are right at the top and not like the people around me. And everyone kind of does that, I guess. It's more of us just surrounding yourself to a good crowd, like the crowd of people, like people who inspire you, like if you surround yourself with people like that, 
um, even just like on your phone, like the fucking algorithm, your 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 Instagram, your like what you watch on YouTube, like you surround yourself with people who are good and you know what you can strive for and have a good vibe to them, then it'll it come into your life as well. And like I met uh, what's his name? I can't remember another dancer, but he says that he like wipes his YouTube every now and then. He like so that the algorithm doesn't like get him stuck at a place, mm-hmm. which I think is very smart. Because especially with something like YouTube, it's like I watch, um, I like to watch varied, um, especially lots of politics stuff. You don't have to get into that, but say if I go, I watch like a Russell Brand <laughs> video, and then the next the next suggestion would be like Tucker, and I'm like, what the fuck is it? suggesting tucker carlson to me now but i'm like okay cool and this isn't a little bit of tucker then what's 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 the harm in that <laughs> um but then like then it's like even more of a win because then like after that it's fucking ben i'm like no i don't want shapiro on here that's it i'm gonna wipe it now like <laughs> you know but uh you know. yeah i see i feel pretty similarly like i got but so i use youtube through like I don't even log in like anymore. Like I'm I'm using Vivaldi as my browser, and so there's a lot of anti-tracking stuff in it, and that's great. But yeah, for me the frustrating thing is I'll be watching like you know video essays on different things, and then yeah I'll get suggested Russell Brand, which personally like I'm never gonna click. And every day I see a Russell Brand video in my feed and I'm like, I've never clicked on this. I've never clicked on anything relating to the guy. I've never wanted it. And I feel like everyone experiences that like on YouTube where it's just like the the popular conversational guys are going to be shoved in your face. Yeah, totally. That's, that's what's sucky about the, the main platforms. And I think I've, I've heard of a new social media called minds. Apparently they, reward uh like it's, it's easier to get like just to start out creators to get their work seen on there as well and um I mean, they're not nearly as big as like uh facebook or or instagram but the way how they won't just you know just not, not just all the top dogs you don't only just see the top dogs all the time it's like we, we need that like starting out creatives too to also get seen and on minds you can also adjust your algorithm so you can say do you want things similar to what you're looking for or do you want things that are opposite to what what you look at so like to get other kinds of opinions or and people who um then you can also adjust it to you know what you feel like on the day like do i want to see similar stuff or do i want to see people who are talking about exactly the opposite as i am which is interesting thought right yeah um but the, and they also still have it's it's and it's also truly open source and they also have a um yeah they, they also have like ways you can't just go and hate speech on there either but because you get you get you get reported but they don't like censor people they don't throw people off of there unless it's like obviously called to violence or threatened threats and shit like that which is interesting i think people we're, we're in need for frank and honest and open conversations right now i think that's because we've been so divided i'm with you i just think that a lot of the so there's also performance at the moment around frank and open conversations you know you have a lot of people on youtube and various other social media sites basically pretend like coming with the guise of like hey i just want to talk 
But really what they're doing is just trying to rile people up onto their side, generates controversy, generates hits, and just keep the whole fucking mm. like charade going. Like just culture to war. like keep contributing to the fucking culture wars and stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it is, mm. yeah. Like that's the thing. I, I agree mm. with you in the Frank uh, discussion thing. But to me, I feel like that stuff's better done in person than it is through YouTube videos or through yeah. tweets or through whatever. Really? Yeah, Maybe what I mean, like there yeah. are some people who take care. Yeah. Like there are people mm. who take care with it and do like create like really good stuff and write really like amazing articles and stuff on, you know, like laugh and politics and everything. But it's the people who are saying the most crazy and audacious shit a lot of the time and who are stirring the biggest pots that are the ones who get attention because that's how our current media environment is structured. Yeah. You mean like mainstream media for sure? Yeah, but I mean, I kind of see all media in some way as mainstream media. But like, I think, I mean, there's like everything at the moment is influenced at least by like like i don't even know what non-mainstream media would be like you know because if you've got a youtube channel and you are making money off of that and millions of people are listening to you that's fucking mainstream to me you might be saying opinions that you know the government disagrees with or whatever but you're still mainstream like if lots of people Mm -hmm. are sharing your opinions if you're propped up by the system i don't know to me that seems mainstream so I don't yeah, know. To so, me, it's all a big fucking mess. Yeah, I hear you. But like, people should also that we have a massive um, problem with journalists and people not being paid properly. Because I like to listen to people and their take on what's happening in the world, right? And I don't even, and I do, I do even on on YouTube, right? Even though they quite censor, um, they, they censor people quite 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 a bit that side, right? Um, so there is a need to have people analyze the shit that we that we see and what's happening because I don't have all the time to read all the articles. Right. So now it's like, cool. I would like them to also get paid to do that. So then uh, that you, you're saying that's still part of the mainstream media. Then if you're someone like Mike Russell brand, who's literally been in movies, like he is, he was, he's done stadium shows, you know, it's like, to me, that's like very much your, your, you're the mainstream dog. Like you're not like, you might be saying some alternative stuff, but it's not like, you know, he's an anarchist, you know, busy organizing with the homies on the street. You know, it's a very different thing to me. A lot of it's, I agree with like analysis. Like I really enjoy analysis, but I do think there is a performative aspect to a lot of it that makes it contrived. And that like, I like feel like on all sides of the spectrum, like, literally no matter who it is there is this weird vibe to it to me that just feels like nobody actually believes what they're fucking saying and they're all just saying it to get a rise out of people sweet yeah okay cool ask me another question it's yeah we shelved that yeah i think the internet was like you know what that discussion is gonna go like down yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) just leave it there yeah Uh, Yeah, where did I actually want to go? So we were chatting before that. We were chatting a bit about Tally. We were chatting a bit acting, acting and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, what else have you been a part of lately? I see you did the forty-eight hour film festival and that, 
And do you see acting as the thing that, well, I guess you were saying like, oh, if it works out, it works out, but it is a way to make a living whilst you're, you know, trying to push the dancing stuff as well. And you were saying you want to make dancing films. So I take it there is as much as you're a little bit like acting ambivalent about it, there is a future that you have in mind with it, right? Mm, yeah, in, in some ways, for sure. I I love film. I really would like to work in some capacity um, in in film, whether it be um, I, I really enjoy doing like choreography on film as well. Yeah. Um, so working behind the camera in that sense would also be fucking fantastic. Acting now, honestly, as I see it right now, and I know this is horrible because there's so many actors out there who are like this is my life and this is only what I want to do all the way, all the time. But for now, at this point, it's like, it's good practice. It's good PR <laughs> also. And, and I enjoy it. So I, if it happens that I can make a living off of it, that would be cool too. I would love to do that as well. But I just know that I have, uh, you know, I, I'd still like to do workshops and, 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 be creative with film because what's so nice about dance film is you only need four hours really and a nice if you want to make a short one obviously and a nice uh location and then you can make a pretty cool video because you don't need much because the dancing and the moving really ignites the whole thing and if your music is strong then it's it's nice to look at um so i'm also doing uh, facilitating like drama workshops uh, we did one in deep sluit like three years, oh, three weeks ago with um, sketch productions. And it was about like sort of igniting people's political side in the sense that South Africans are quite ambivalent about politics, but we all have power. Even some have more power for sure, but everyone does have power. So the workshop was all about igniting that care and what can they what do they care about essentially and how can they use that care and the tools we gave them with moving and drama because we're all creatives to tell stories again and to ignite them to make work again because the drama side of things in South Africa is scarily quiet and I'm a little bit disappointed with the theater people but I don't want to get into it I want bad reps but um I'm a little bit disappointed creatives staying so quiet. And I know that it's also a financial thing. Mm -hmm. Can't just be like questioning things out here because your funding is also coming from specific places. That's exactly what I was going to say. But, and also we also need to fill our bellies. So I do also get that. But the frustration is there. And people, like theater was the thing that brought like protests and apartheid like to a bit of a halt it helped in the process of that and now we are facing extreme inequality and class inequality and race inequality and it's still like why are we still making apartheid protest plays and i'm like where's the now plays like but i think we're all very shell-shocked and i do i do have definitely have much compassion for that as well but it was very cool to see how hungry these creatives were and to, as a white person, also to connect with people in my country that I wouldn't have to ever really, because you're just in your, you know, middle class bubble and you don't have to like go outside of the bubble or, you know, you're not forced to at all. And these, these workshops also helped me to 
it's a reality check, but it's also to see how hungry people are um, for expression, especially creatives. And that sort of, it also broadens the network. Like if you know, now I know more people who are movers and beautiful actors and I can pull something together or find work or well, if someone's looking for someone, you know, so it's, that was a great experience. I would love to do that again, like teaching movement for that. So yeah, and then I don't know what else did you ask. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually going to say, <laughs> like, have you always had? Well, how long have you had a passion for teaching for? Because it seems like that's something that you know through the Pilates, through dance, through a lot of what you're saying to me, seems like something that you've really grown into. Mm, exactly. Yeah, it was a. I didn't think I was a good teacher until I taught Pilates like classes, and then. This last facilitation in Deep Sluit, oh, Deep Kluif, sorry, um, was was very cool to see that I can facilitate and people were also very open and receiving, which is also nice. It makes it much easier. <laughs> but yeah, I like really enjoy it. Actually, um, I always make jokes and say that I like to I like Pilates because you you know tell people what to do and they do it. <laughs> and it's, it's not a good trade for a leader, but it's definitely a good trade for a teacher. But yeah, I really I, I enjoyed teaching definitely, but it needs to be focused on what I'd like to do. Um, and yeah, cool. And then I guess the last bits we can chat a bit about collages. Uh, you do something right, to yeah. me that is absolutely abhorrent, and you cut up books. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because people never look at them these specific books so I, all my all my books are resourced from like uh what's it like uh, thrift shops. charity shops yeah. and yeah thrift shops i don't ever pay more than like 30 bucks a book unless it's like a real special one and then yeah it's also sometimes i have to say bob that i do have books on my shelves that i'm it's very hard for me to cut up i have a book on like carnivals all around the world that i got that sounds amazing and i so it's just there i can't yeah it's very hard for me to do anything with it um so i do get my sentimental moments but so with collaging is like i don't know you recontextualize the past basically which is very cool and i always say that i'm lazy i don't like to draw and <laughs> painting is messy so collaging is a really nice in between i feel an approachable medium and it's very like I don't know. It's 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 quite surreal as well. I like surrealism and Dali and stuff like that. So um, you can paint the world in a bit of a different place. It's in in a way the past really because the books that I get are like eighties, nineties, you know that because I love the color of that pages. So the retroness and it's very telling as to like what kind of things were people like consuming and. Just in terms of a feminist perspective, how far we've come as well, which is quite nice to see. <clears throat> so that's fascinating. And I always tell people, because yo, people have like coffee, coffee table books in their houses that they never open. Um, like my mom just gave me a book on Tuscany. It's like the best pages ever. Like thick magazine type, beautiful book about Tuscan design and like, I mean, like um, houses, you know. And uh, I asked her like, why you know we've had this book since I was like nine and have you opened it once since we built our house like we built like sort of a Tuscan inspired house and she's like no I didn't I never <laughs> opened it and I was like yeah well see so then 
So I kind of want to do this book haul where like I have people post me their fucking coffee table book and I give them a collage back or something like, yeah, if anyone's interested, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, I guess that is a thing about coffee table books in particular is that most people don't buy coffee table books to look at them themselves. They're there because they need yeah. something for guests to see, to make them sure, like yeah. seem worldly, I guess, you know, <laughs> or like it's interesting like the, the and OG, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like educated, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's like a virtue signal, the OG virtue signaling. Like, <laughs> Hey, I know who Frida Kahlo is, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly it. It's so I guess in that regard, like I, you know, those kind of books, fine. You know, I, I don't mind you cutting them up too too much, but uh, don't come for my novels. Which one's okay? <laughs> no, I won't do that ever. No, no, no. Um, I I love to read, so I won't do that. It's it's funny because I I tell like secondhand bookstore owners sometimes like. You know, I am a collage artist and just to see the reactions, like some people don't care. Some people are like, oh, awesome. That's cool. And then, but there's this, these Bali's that are just like, how do you, how can you cut a perfectly, perfectly beautiful book? Exactly. Like if it's damaged or there's already pages missing <laughs> or something like that, fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, I don't yeah. mind that. But like a perfectly yeah. good book, I, oh, I, I would, it would hurt me. Like magazines, that's fine. You yeah. know, there's a million magazines okay. you like but like exactly actual books that when i saw that that you know it stung a little but i understand yeah yeah <laughs> it's okay bob it's fine we'll do a workshop and then i just want to break that barrier to you i want to give you a book and then watch you rip out a page <laughs> see you liberated <laughs> yeah it depends on the book <laughs> i yes. think that, if I think it's that... like one that you bring that you never opened yeah totally yeah, or there might just be some things like where it's just by getting some anger out. Mm, yeah. Do you feel like you sometimes do need to get anger out? <laughs> yes, 100%. But I think anyone who knows me knows that. Um, I, yeah, okay. yeah I, I might come across as pretty yeah. chilled on here and I have worked yeah. long and hard on the anger thing, mm. but it's been a driving force in my life for a very long time. Aggression is interesting. It can propel you also in directions, you know. It can get you up of, off of your ass and get you to do shit as well. At least ignite a start of something. Oh, 100%. What's saying, like, yeah, so there's, like, good parts of it for sure, just like anything. Yeah, fuck you, I'll show you is, like, the number one, <laughs> like, motivator. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Like, anger and rage really does help. It's not... It's not like it doesn't last long. It's not good longevity. Like, doesn't have li like long longevity, but it definitely helps. Especially if you're freelancing. Like, <laughs> wow, it's hard. Hey, like I'm sure you know yes. to get yourself. You can't wait for motivation. Absolutely can't. You you have to do it on the days where you don't feel like you you want to, and those are actually the days that matter. Like, because motivation will not. It'll dwindle as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta. What's it? If you stay fit, you don't have to get fit. Or if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how I feel about my acting. I feel like I need to get ready. Like with my acting now. <laughs> Made me back a bit more aware of it as well. Okay. I'm gonna. Okay. So this is a new thing. So you wouldn't have heard it with the Halley episode. 
but uh, we're ending every episode of the podcast off the same way uh, these days, all with the same question. And basically that question is, what is a huge mistake that you've made that you learned a very important lesson from? Jeez, I have to think about this one because I'm so perfect. It's <laughs> hard to pinpoint one. <laughs> just kidding. It's just so many rushing through your head right now. You just don't want to yeah, blow it up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Wait, let me just think. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the biggest oh, yeah. mistake. Well, but like... well, I, feel, yeah, yeah. I feel like also just a repeated mistake. Sure. Can that also be Definitely. something like a lesson that you, yeah, was was like sort of, I think there was a time where I was very serially dating. So like in doing things for someone, right, was an excuse to sort of not work on myself and okay. not take that same energy towards me. So I would like date projects of men and then forget about who, what, like what I want and what my route is because anyone that's worth your while and your time would like support your journey too so that's a mistake for sure okay i think uh, a few people may, might have needed to hear that <laughs> and a few people might actually relate yeah i hope so really that's all we could hope for as artists is that people see us and they see themselves reflected too amen <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much. That does bring us to thank the you, end. Bob. And yeah, this was yeah. a great Hope chat. You had a good hour. It was. I really enjoyed it. It's really nice. Um, and uh, all the best for for this podcast and for yourself. Also, like, keep on keeping on. <laughs> like you're doing good. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I'm sure the anger will see me through. So that was Nina. What do you think? You enjoyed that chat? Uh, go follow her on Instagram at if you like Nina's collages. I think it's a fantastic fucking name uh, for her collages. And yeah, I'm excited to see what work she does in the future. See what she can do with dance. Because yeah, in South Africa, it is an underappreciated art form. Anyway, how are you? How was your week? Anything interesting happen? Can't think of anything can't think of one single noteworthy thing that happened in society this week personally i <laughs> yeah right yeah fucking right uh everyone lost their damn mind this week that's that's for fucking certain uh, a lot of comedians were out here busy talking about how it's dangerous to be a comedian now and it's sickening absolutely fucking sickening that Will Smith love-tapped uh, Chris Rock at the Oscars. Yo, I've never seen... Like, it's pathetic, man. Like, just watching comedians just freak the fuck out about all of it. Because it's like... Like, you have to be at a very high level in comedy that being hit is not, like, something you know is a possibility at every comedy gig you go to. Like... Most comedy gigs don't even have security. Like, <laughs> we've all been very aware that we can catch hands for our words. That is something that has been very apparent for a very long fucking time. This has been apparent because a lot of us have caught hands for saying words. So just seeing all the hand wringing and shit this week has been pretty interesting. 
And then on the other side, seeing everyone going like, Oh yeah, it's time to comedians. I'm like, you are so late. You are so behind the fucking times. Jim Jeffries got fucking punched on stage years ago. It made his fucking career before the gun joke. Like there is an entire fucking genre on YouTube basically that is comedian and audience member fight. Like often audience member gets up, goes to hit a comedian, comedian sometimes ducks, sometimes doesn't, swings back, picks up the mic stand, other people get involved, usually the guy who got on stage gets rushed by a bunch of fucking people and just gets the living shit kicked out of them and yeah that's uh that's a whole genre on youtube that you <laughs> you can check out i mean as a comedian i'm aware of these things so i don't know i just think it's all been fucking there's been a lot of bad takes i'll say that much a lot of people have said a lot of dumb shit and i'm gonna leave it at this if you truly believe uh, in chat shit get banged then maybe you should chat less shit that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And with that said, I guess I need to let you know that I did put out an article this week, a top five podcast you should listen to in 2022. It's just a uh, personal uh, recommendations that I think you should listen to. Since people do actually ask me, they're always like, what South African podcast should I listen to? So I made a little list that you can check out over at almostperfect.co.za. And other than that, it is now time for me to shout out the titular titles tier over patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. Now this is a tier, it is a $10 tier. It is the top tier uh, where you get to pick your title right here on the Almost Perfect podcast. So shout outs to Neil Green, our key grip. Vashendra Naidu, our spiritual advisor. Rose Ventura, our director of purchasing. Julian, our king. Karan Sleman, the almost perfect hedge fund manager. Russell Grant, the Far East correspondent. Karan Chetty, our assistant to the regional manager. Still looking for a regional manager. If that's you, $10 a month and it's yours. Kath Jenkin, inevitable ruler of the universe and Queen Swifty. Chief sales officer of subtle heresies in the greater Oberberg region, Rousseau. Stephen Olafier, our executive producer and our benefactor who is anonymous. I want to thank you for listening all the way through to the end of the podcast. And I will catch you on the flip side. <laughs>